Can we talk? No, I mean really talk. Not in the usual typing, texting, posting, commenting sort of way we're so used to. Where discussions become debates. And somehow, every opinion is wrong. I'm talking about truly thoughtful, considerate, healthy communication. Because I have questions, and I'm convinced there are answers. Sure, it may get uncomfortable or awkward, heated or hot, but I'm not willing to let fear, insecurity, anger or pain get in the way of fulfillment, insight, answers, and peace. I need to know, when it comes to bigotry, exclusivity, and anxiety, misogyny, sexual sanctity, and agony, what does God demand? What does the Bible command? Where do we stand? So, are you ready to talk? Boy, no pressure on that one. Follow that up. And before we start talking, I want to take just a minute to say a very huge thank you and, and to spend some time rejoicing and praising God. Many of you leading up to our Easter weekend services uh, were involved in the 416 challenge, praying for what God would do in our community uh, here and, and specifically praying for Christ the King. Uh, and and what, a, what an incredible way that you were involved with that and that God heard our prayers and answered. It was just an amazing thing. Um, around here, I just want to let you know, uh, we, we had a record attendance this last uh, Easter weekend. And what was really exciting in Skagit, those of you in Skagit, uh, we had uh, close to 400 people that showed up at our Skagit campus. And we are just so excited about that. Over the weekend, you know, uh, we take our Easter offering. You gave over $70,000, and every penny of that will be given away to organizations and, and what God is doing outside of Cornwall. So just so grateful for your generosity with that. Uh, in, uh, in, in this uh, site, uh, somewhere between 50 and 60 people picked up New Believers packets after our services and just so excited about it, and we would encourage you to continue to pray for them. But one of the things as well is we were praying for Christ the King specifically. So I called Grant yesterday and I said, I, I want to report back to our, our congregation. He said, Bob, it was an amazing weekend. Thank your congregation so much for praying for us. They had near record numbers and over 100 people gave their heart to the Lord last weekend. So we're just praising God for what he did in answering uh, our prayers and advancing his kingdom. And I think we ought to just uh, praise him uh, with that. Um, so, so grateful for that. Yeah, continue to lift up what God is uh, about and doing here. Uh, glad that you're here today. Bellingham, those of you in, in Skagit, those of you in Boca Raton and watching online uh, as we start this new conversation series, which conversations is really kind of a bit of a misnomer because the way just by virtue of the, the form of, of communication called a sermon, it, it really, I, I'm not suggesting we have a conversation in this setting, um, a sermon is more of a monologue, so I don't need you to talk back to me a whole lot. Um, but we're hoping that the things we talk about are things that you do have conversations around. And conversations you may have in your home or with your friends or in a small group or with a, with a, 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 a co-worker or something. Or maybe conversations that you have had. Uh, that it, this would spark, uh, spark some, some of these conversations and give you some things to talk about and ways even uh, to talk about them. I have a very, very good friend. We have wonderful conversations. And what's amazing is that on a lot of fronts, he and I are completely opposite. Now, we have, when it comes to 
uh, political leanings, we would lean opposite directions. We would probably vote differently. We have differing beliefs on some things with uh, spirituality and and, um, in areas of religion. We have different priorities in our life. Some of our practices, our behaviors, or some lifestyle patterns are different. And yet we have incredible conversations, and I love this man. And the reason that we're able to have some incredible conversations is because we, we share a mutual respect for each other. We're willing to listen to each other, to try to understand the perspective of the other, and at times to get to the point where we say, we will agree to disagree agreeably on these matters. And it makes for some wonderful, wonderful conversations where nothing is off limits. Well, now, it would be wonderful if that's the way our world always operated, but very often, it's just the opposite. Very often, we get into conversations, especially if they're controversial, areas where we have strong beliefs or opinions or feelings, that people begin to pick sides, and they begin to to get their fists up. They get ready for a fight, and this escalates. The more more tightly you hold to a a subject matter, the more you believe it strongly, and especially when it's of great significance, you you double down on this whole thing and, and get ready. And so what happens, instead of having wonderful conversations, is we get into these standoffs. And at times, we can get, lose all objectivity. We can vilify or even demonize anyone or any group or any individual who thinks differently, believes differently, behaves differently, lives differently than us. And then, and then we begin to minimize the, their capacity for any kind of intellectual thought at all. And we discount everything they say because we lump them into a group. And we ostracize entire categories, entire demographics, entire groups of people, put them all together in one thing. And in so doing, we forfeit having any kind of influence on anybody except those in our own corner. And so we're very quick to form opinions, very quick to draw conclusions, very quick to cast judgments. And any kind of dialogue we might have with someone opposed to us would be something along these lines, I could agree with you, but then we'd both be wrong, and that doesn't really go anywhere either. It's like that, that story of that, that man who was, who was died in the wool Republican. I mean, just born and raised Republican, voted party lines, everything good Republican, everything else is bad. All of his life, his entire life, got into nearing 90 years old. He's an octogenarian, a Republican to, to the core. And he went in to see his doctor, and his doctor said, Sir, you better get your, your, your affairs in order because you have a terminal condition and you don't have long to live. He left the doctor's office and immediately went down and became a Democrat, which shocked all of his family and friends. They said, what are you doing your whole life? You've been a Republican and now you're going to die and you become a Democrat. And he says, well, I figure if someone's got to die, it'd be better to have one of them die than one of us. You see, we get so, so caught in our own little circumstance, our own little side, our own little corner. And you know what's amazing is that Christians and church people are sometimes more guilty of this than anybody else. I mean, some of us were raised in church, and it's like we've got this spiritual gift of judgment, this spiritual gift gift of criticism, and it just kind of, it just happened growing up in the church. And I get, I get where some of it comes from. Because we have God's word, we have his truth, and we see where other people are failing, where they're falling short and not holding to the standard, and I get that. And sometimes we try to justify and say, well, I, I don't judge people. You know, the Bible says a tree is known by its fruit. I'm not a judge. I'm just a fruit inspector. Listen, a judge by any other name is still a judge. And so you hear this phrase a lot. Christians are so judgmental. Christians are so judgmental. That phrase is at the same time true, 
and a judgmental statement. So it's apparently not just Christians who are saying that and who are being judgmental. So as we get into this, this series talking about conversations, and we're going to be talking about some things where there's going to be differing opinions. There's going to be some disagreement. There will be some discussions. And it would be real easy to just power up in our corner, start casting those judgments, instead of having maybe some meaningful conversations where we can actually influence others. So we thought that before we get into some of those topics, maybe we'd look at this one as kind of a root foundation for this whole series on this idea of being judgmental and, and having judgment. Scripture says this, You then, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Well, that seems pretty clear, pretty straightforward. But why is it then that judgment is so universal, so widespread, on so many different fronts? Why is it that we, we see it in, in everywhere, from every side, and from every arena, and, and not just in Christian circles? I mean, you think about this. People will judge or be judged on all kinds of issues. You know, people will judge you because you're friends. Or they hang out with so-and-so. They hang out with these people. They're unsavory, and so they judge you for that. Well, all they do is hang out with Christians. They have their own Christian subculture, and so they, they judge you on that. It's like, well, where, where do you go on that? People will judge you because of your money. People will judge you by what you drive. They'll see your car, and immediately they'll, they'll, they'll form an opinion and you know, cast a judgment. Look, they'll just look at your car and say, yep, 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 white trailer trash. That's it. They're just judged. Or they'll look at your car and say, oh, they just, they're so snooty. They just flaunt their wealth, or they're probably way in debt. They, they just weigh everything, and they cast judgment on that. Cast judgment on whether you have tattoos, why you have tattoos, that you have tattoos, that you don't have tattoos, have tattoos, how many tattoos, where you have your tattoos, where your peers, all these kind of judgments. They judge you on how you raise your kids. They let their kids watch that. Do you know how much screen time their kids get? They vaccinate their kids. They don't vaccinate their kids. They homeschool their kids. They private school their kids. Public school their kids. All these things. You know, we didn't raise our kids that way. Get judged on things. You go out to dinner with a group. You order a beer or a glass of wine, and then all of a sudden you realize you're the only one at the table that did. And it got awkward, and they're all looking around like. They're starting to put together plans to have an intervention with you and all that. And they're judging you. Or the opposite. You go out, and you're the only one that doesn't order a beer. And they're all like, ooh, so you think you're so much better than us, do you? Mr. Christian, don't drink beer, do you, huh? And they judge you for not. You get judged about everything. Go out with some people that are healthy, and you say, you know what, I'll have the, I'll have the non-vegan, non-organic, non-kosher meal. And make sure it's GMO with a little MSG and put it in a container that's got BPA. <laughs> I don't want to recycle any of it. We just get, I mean, you come to church and you get judged. We're worshiping God, worshiping God. And someone says, oh, he's so emotional. You're not worshiping like that. And someone says, oh, she's not spirit-filled. I mean, you see how it's just on every arena. And we're just hitting the easy stuff. We're not getting into social economic you know, issues of, of world wealth or, or environment or sexuality or morality or, or biblical standards or theology or 
ethics. We're, we're not even hitting those issues at this point. We just see that this judgment is universal. It's everywhere. And we get judged and we do. Here's a question for you. How many of you would say that, and we'll just go since the first of the year, you know, four months or so. In this last four months, how many of you have felt or sensed or feel like someone has judged you for any reason at all? Just see, okay, all right, so you understand that happens. Let's, so let's be honest. In the last four months, we're in church now, be honest. How many say, you know, okay, not proud of it, but I've, I've done some of my own judging. All right. And those of you who didn't just raise your hand, how many of you are judging all the other people right now who did raise their hand? So we, and, and here's the crazy thing about this judgment. It's like there's this spectrum. Because I mean, where, where's the line? What, what is actual judgment? And, and because on one hand, there's this harmful, you know, forming of opinions or having preferences or a perspective. And it, it's not a big deal. It's just like this is how I think. This is what I believe. This is what I, how I feel. And it seems very harmless. And then on the other end, there's these destructive attitudes and actions and words that we say that, that are so, so uh, negative. And in the midst of all that, we receive judgment and we give judgment. And it just seems like it's widespread. And when we receive it, we look at words like this out of James, where it says, there's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you... Who are you to judge your neighbor? And when someone is judging you, when someone is criticizing you, when someone is maybe confronting you, we like to point to verses like this and say, yeah, yeah, what James said. He's the brother of Jesus. Yeah, yeah, right there. And so we start saying that. You're so judgmental. Doesn't the Bible say that you shouldn't judge? Stop judging. And so we will, on the other end when we're receiving it, we'll use this judgment, and judgment becomes the blanket defense. It's like, like any time, anyone wants to like contradict or speak to us about something that's contrary to what we believe or are doing, anytime they want to correct us, anytime that there's any kind of confrontation at all, we just pull the judgment card. It's like, hey, you're being judgmental. Doesn't the Bible say stop judging? You're, you're judging, judging, and it's this blanket defense. And when we pull that card, it's like it stops the conversation, it diverts the attention, and so often, we use the judgment card as a smokescreen so that we don't have to acknowledge or give an account or answer the issues that we're dealing with. If we can divert the attention from whatever they're pointing out about us to say, but you're being judgmental, then it stops it all. And that's not right either. Now, here's the thing about this judgment. Not only is it universal, but truth is that judgment, judgment, this issue is very complex and even confusing, as you'll see here in just a few minutes, or maybe you've already seen. Very complex. Sometimes we try to oversimplify this issue. And here's our oversimplification, especially from guys like me that stand in front and have these one-way conversations. We just say, well, we should be less judgmental. Bob says don't judge, try to not be judgmental. All right, and maybe some of you are saying, that, that's my philosophy on life. Great, let me ask you some questions. You don't need to answer this. This is not a conversation. This is a sermon. Let me ask you some questions and just think through this, and you'll see how complex this situation actually is. Some of them I've already asked. Is it always wrong to judge? I mean, is there ever a situation where judgment is okay? And can we have 
our own opinions and preferences and our perspectives? And if so, where is that okay and where does it cross the line into judgment? And does that mean that we should throw out all standards? Is right and wrong out? Is, is all truth just subjective? Is there no moral absolutes anymore? Can we not confront any ills in our lives, our families, our society? Are we not allowed to say that anything is right or wrong or that everything is right so that nothing is wrong? And if that's the case, are we supposed to just agree with and accept everyone's thoughts, their opinions, their lifestyles, and even celebrate them? Are we supposed to, are we supposed to allow things that are destructive, lifestyles that are destructive, relationships that are abusive, choices that are unhealthy? Are we supposed to just allow those things? And let me go to the radical extreme, the, the, the ridiculous extreme. If you ever watch NFL football, every time a referee pulls out a yellow flag, isn't that a bit judgmental? Shouldn't we do away with that then? And yes, there's some clapping. Yeah, let them play. All right, they'll all die. Okay. And can a boss not correct an employee or even fire one? It's so judgmental. How about something maybe closer to home? A friend of yours that has started to hang out with some people that they didn't used to hang out with, and they're starting to change, and you can see it very clearly. Some of the places they go that they didn't go to a year ago, and some attitudes that they have, and some priorities that have changed, and some of the things that they're involved with that they wouldn't have done a few years ago. Are we not allowed to say, isn't that judgmental to point that out? And if you're a parent, if you're a parent, and your young child, maybe your eighth grade daughter, starts hanging out with that 17-year-old boy and you're saying some things and she just says, you're so judgmental and you're saying, dang right I am. Or your son's hanging out with these guys and you're like, I just don't think that it would be good. And you're saying, but mom, dad, you're being so judgmental. Is that okay? And then you say, well, well I, you know, I, I don't know. I just, I just go with what the Bible says. Okay, well, when God sent the prophets, wasn't their message extremely judgmental? pointing out what was wrong, what needed to be changed, what needed to be turned around, or what would happen? And wasn't there a whole group of leaders in Israel referred to as judges? And then you push back and say, well, yeah, but that's Old Testament. I'm a New Testament guy. I'm with Jesus. Long live 1995 WWJD. That's my motto. What would Jesus do? Hey, great motto. But this can be a little confusing as well. Because Jesus did not throw out all standards. He didn't just say everything's all, you know, all bets are off, it's all, it's all done. In fact, he would say just the opposite. You have heard it said, he would say, you've heard it said, should not commit adultery. That was a standard. That was a, there's a, a right and a wrong. There's a moral absolute here. You should not commit adultery. The bar is set. And then he says, but I tell you, don't worry about that, no. But I tell you, and he raises the bar. If you even look at a woman lustfully, you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. So he, he had absolute morals and standards. And he even raised them to a higher degree. Now what makes things really confusing is that he takes it to that higher level and saying, even lust is, puts you in the category of an adulterer. And then when he's put, put face to face with a woman who's caught in the very act of adultery, he doesn't condemn her. And when he hangs out with prostitutes who are vocational adulterers, he says, 
these prostitutes are closer to the kingdom of heaven than the church leaders. Okay, you've raised the bar, you've raised the standard, but you don't hold it. Jesus had some very, very strong words about divorce and remarriage. Very strong words about divorce and remarriage. And yet he meets a woman who's been married and divorced five times, apparently has given up on that and is now living with a guy, and he decides that she will be the first one that he reveals his true identity as the Messiah of the world to and sends her off as the first missionary to go and tell her town. But wait, it gets even more confusing. In John chapter 5, it says, Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son. So God says, I will put all of the judgment responsibilities onto Jesus. He is the ultimate righteous judge. But a few chapters later, in chapter 12, Jesus says, As for the person who hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save it. To which you say, you ought to talk to your dad. Because you guys are on different pages here. He says, I didn't come to judge, I came to save it. Okay, that's fine. So Jesus doesn't judge. But then he goes to his disciples, his closest followers, and he says, How long shall I put up with you, you perverse, unbelieving generation? Sounds pretty judgmental. And he looks at Peter and says, Get behind me, Satan. That's a judgmental statement. He says to the Pharisees, you are blind guides, you are a brood of vipers. Sounds judgmental, and it gets even worse in Matthew 23 when he gives these seven woes to them. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, judgmental. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when he becomes one of you, one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. It's not a motorcycle gang they're a part of. Jesus is calling them sons of hell. That's a judgmental statement. Later in that same chapter, woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Very, very judgmental. And I would challenge you, read through the Gospels because Jesus does make judgments. He does judge. He makes some judgmental statements. But be very aware of who it is that he judges and what it is that he judges and why he judges and, and what the outcome of that is. You say, okay, but, but, but that's Jesus. He's the righteous judge. I'm talking about us, that we're not supposed to be so judgmental. Okay, great. Except throughout the New Testament, we are told to correct one another, to reprove one another, to rebuke one another, to warn one another, to admonish one another, and even to judge one another. So this whole issue is a little confusing and kind of complex. So you're dismissed. Go have a conversation, figure it out, tell us next week. What I want us to do in the remainder of our time is I want us to look at the place where Jesus talks about this issue the most. It's where you have the most uh, concise and the fullest conversation that Jesus ever has about this. So if you have your Bible or your tablet or your phone you want to follow along, turn to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7 is a part of the Sermon on the Mount, that great sermon that Jesus taught. 
And in there, he talks specifically about this. And maybe as we look at this, we can get some answers and some clarity on some of the confusion and some of the complexity of this issue. We're going to spend the rest of our time in Matthew 7. There's a couple of places. We'll go to some other scriptures, but Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, Jesus starts off and he says this, do not judge, which you say, yes, I knew it was in the Bible. Jesus said it, do not judge. And if we stop right there, we'd have to go back to the questions we've already asked this morning. What does that mean? What constitutes judge? I mean, can we have an opinion? And still not be judgmental. Can we have a preference? Can we have standards? Can we have right and wrong? Where does it become judge? If we just stop at that, there's all kinds of unanswered questions that go with just that phrase, do not judge. Jesus doesn't stop there, thankfully. He says, do not judge or you too will be judged, which raises a whole new set of questions. By whom? By the people we judge? If we judge them, they're going to judge us? Is that what you're saying? Maybe. By God, is that the way it works? I judge these people and God judges me? Maybe. Is it just a principle that he's throwing out there? Is it kind of this, like the, the reaping and sowing, kind of your own Christian karma? If you, Just the way the world works. If, if you're a judgmental person, people are going to be judgmental. Is that what he's talking about here? And if we're not supposed to judge, and this is where we as Christians go, but Jesus, they're, you know, and, and we point out all the areas they're sinning and the moral degradation and they're taking the fabric of our nation and our schools and our homes and they're throwing it in, you know, all this stuff. But Jesus, what do I? He's like, hold on, we're not there yet. He just starts off, he says, do not judge or you too will be judged. And then he kind of expands it the next circle out. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So he says, the weight of judgment, the amount of judgment, the way that you judge... How you do that is how it's going to be done to you. Now, now maybe what he's saying is this. Maybe what he is saying is, when it comes to this whole issue, apply the golden rule when judging. Maybe that's the whole point of this thing. You say, well, I've heard of the golden rule, but did Jesus actually know about the golden rule? Actually, Jesus said the golden rule. And it was in this chapter, and it was just a few verses later, chapter 7, verse 12, Jesus said, So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. Now suddenly, for me, I start getting some clarity in this very confusing issue. If I saw it this way, that any time I were to form an opinion and cast a judgment, that I did it the way that I would want someone to do that for me, I know how I would want someone to judge me. I'll tell you how I would want to be judged. If someone, you or anyone else, is going to judge me, I would want you to be slow in forming your opinion and drawing your conclusions. I would want you to recognize that you may only have partial information and there may be more to the story. I would hope that you would give me the benefit of the doubt and that you wouldn't be quick to, to your conclusions and quick to judge me and throw me under without really saying, maybe we ought to hear his side of the story, or maybe there's some things behind the fact. Maybe there's some issues that we're not aware of. Maybe there's some details that have been left out. Maybe I should suspend my judgment until I have a more full picture. Let me give you an example, two examples, actually. Because maybe you heard this about me. 
in the last month or so. Maybe you heard a few weeks ago, and this is absolutely true, maybe you heard Pastor Bob's wife was out of town. And one weekend, on a Saturday night, he went to, to a movie with two women who were not his wife, just the three of them. And he actually paid for their movies and their popcorn, and he sat right between them, and his wife was out of town. And not only that, but when they left the theater, and they didn't leave together, but I mean, he was real huggy with them, and kissed one of them, I think, and to the other one, asked something about when she was going to be at his house. I mean, this is not wise. On top of it, they were seeing Beauty and the Beast, which is a romance story. <laughs> now, if you heard that, and all of that is true, all of that is true, you could make a judgment. You could draw a conclusion there. You could say, I'll tell you who the beast is, that old pervert pastor of ours. <laughs> Out with two other women, kissing them and hugging They were my daughters. All of that is true. You could have known the part of the story and made a judgment. But if you find out the rest of the details, then maybe the story is completely different. Or how about this one? I heard on a recent trip to Mexico that Pastor Bob paid a Mexican woman to hang out with him on the beach. And I heard she had her hands all over him. And some of you are saying, give me the number, I'm going. <laughs> now you could hear that statement and cast a judgment. And those are true statements, not entirely true. I actually hired two Mexican women <laughs> because it was for a couple's massage that my wife and I were having on the beach. And yes, her hands were all over me. And it was wonderful. But it was a massage. So, so you, you hear some of the other details, and now maybe the judgment's a little different. I want, when someone's going to judge me, I want them to hear the whole story. I want them to know the backstory. I don't want them to make a partial judgment. And I want them to give me the benefit of the doubt and give me the chance to explain and give me the chance to tell you maybe some things you're not aware of. And in those situations where maybe there actually is something, where I'm out of line, where I've missed it, where I've done something unwise, where, where I've failed, where I've sinned. In that situation, I'll tell you how I want to be judged. I want someone to graciously, patiently, mercifully come to me, not go to everybody else. Say, well, well I can't go talk to Bob and say anything. That would be judgmental, so I'll tell everybody else. And I don't need everybody to spread prayer requests for Pastor Bob. I'd rather have someone come to me and have a conversation with me. That, that's how I want to be judged. And when I think about that, someone who knows all the facts, someone who will be gracious and even merciful, sounds to me like my Heavenly Father. That's how I want to be judged. The scripture says this, judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. This is by James, the brother of Jesus. Do you think maybe, just maybe, he said, I remember hearing about my brother saying something along this line. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. 
And maybe Jesus is saying, when it comes to judgment, apply the golden rule. How would you want to be approached? How would you want to be judged? How would you want to be treated? All right, so back to the Matthews. He asks them some questions, and he uses this metaphor. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye? Like, why? Why is this so important to you? Why does this bother you so much? I'm not saying they don't have a speck. Just, just, let's, just, let's talk about why is this such a big deal to you? Why do you feel like you need to form an opinion? Why do you feel like you need to judge? Why do you feel like it's incumbent on you to make sure that that speck is pointed out, addressed, taken care of? Why is that such a big deal to you? And he follows up with this question. And pay no attention to the plank in your own eye. This is where Jesus uses hyperbole. He uses these ex extreme um, examples to make the point. He says, there's this little speck over here in this person's eye, but you've got this plank in your eye. He says, and, and, and why do you pay no attention to it? To which we say, what plank? Jesus says, exactly. Exactly. And we come back to, but Jesus, and they're falling short, and they're making you know, a mess, and they're the moral fabric of our country, and the degradation, and all. he says, whoa, 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 we're not even there yet. What about this deal? Why is that such a big deal to you? When you won't even acknowledge your own issue. So he continues on, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? How, how can you do that? He says, it doesn't make any sense. You are so interested about their speck, and you completely ignore the plank that you have. It's like, this is, this is of, of great interest to you. you. You're investing your time, your energy, all that, to make sure that you get that speck out. And all the while, you don't even acknowledge, you don't even notice your own situation. So how, how, how is it that you can go and try and correct them, go and try and fix their issues and ignore yours all the while? When Paul writes to the church in Rome, he says this, You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge the other, you're condemning yourself because you, pass, you who pass judgment do the same things. Like you got your own stuff as well. So when you, a mere man, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you'll escape God's judgment? He says, just, just be aware of this. They're not the only ones with issues. They're not the only ones with problems. And you're so interested in them, all the while ignoring your own. So Jesus says, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the, all the time there is a plank in your own eye? And Jesus says this, you hypocrite, to which we say, judgment. Jesus is being judgmental. Can't be. Jesus, didn't you say do not judge? Jesus, you're being judgmental. Jesus says, give it a rest. Here's what a hypocrite is in this situation. A hypocrite is someone who is always interested in everybody else's issues and ignores their own. That's what he's saying. You're, you're an absolute hypocrite. 
you see that in everybody else, but you, you can't even see here. So he goes on and he says, first, first, which is interesting. First is a sequential word. If there's a first, there's probably going to be a, or maybe even a, yeah, or a then, or following. The first is, is doesn't stand alone. And Jesus says, hey, at first, and maybe what he's talking about is that there's going to be some things, and maybe he's talking about these are in order, in a very important order, and the first one has to happen first so that the second one can happen, and then it can go on. Or maybe he's saying this is first because it's of first importance. Like this one, it takes priority. Like the other ones, yeah, they're important, but this one comes first. And so Jesus says, you hypocrite, you're ignoring your own issue. Let me tell you what you need to do first. This is of first importance. This is the order. First, he says, take the plank out of your own eye. What he's saying is this. Every single time you get ready to, to bring the gavel, to be able to cast a judgment, to condemn someone, to point something out. Every time you reach for the gavel, he says, first, our first response is to look in the mirror. That's our first response, to look here. And every time you reach for a gavel, every time you want to make a judgment, every time you see something in someone else, let that be a trigger. Let that be a reminder. Okay, before you say anything, before you form any opinion, before you cast any judgment, stop, put the gavel down, and pick up the mirror. Let this be an indicator. Because the very fact that whatever they're doing bothers you so much may be an indicator that there's some stuff that needs to be done in here. But you need to look inside and do a little bit of your own inspection there. So Jesus says, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly. And he'll tell us what, he's, what we'll see clearly. But maybe before we get there, maybe what we see clearly first is our own situation. Our own issues that need to be dealt with. Why this is such a big deal to us. To stop, look in the mirror and say, okay, what, what are my motives? Where's this coming from? To maybe just stop and say, why am I so angry? And our first response will be, it's righteous indignation. Yeah, maybe. But maybe it's a vengeance thing, really. Maybe you're really angry and you want to point it out because they did something that hurt you. And you want them to hurt. Or they did something that offended someone that, that you care about and you want to make sure that they, they suffer and they have it. Okay, I'm not saying what they did was right, but what's going on here? Where's this anger coming from? Because regardless of what they did, that anger that you have in here, that's not right. That's a plank in your eye. So why, why, do, you, why do you confront them on this? Maybe it's not anger. Maybe it's jealousy. Maybe in deep down, I mean, if you're real honest, yeah, what they're doing might not be right, but the reason it's such a big deal is because you're jealous. Oh, she shouldn't wear something like that. It's because you can't. Well, he shouldn't drive that. He shouldn't buy that. Well, why? Just because maybe you can't? You wish you could? Maybe there's some jealousy there. So maybe she shouldn't wear that, and maybe he shouldn't buy that. But what's really the deal for you? Why is it such a big deal to you? Because if there's envy and there's jealousy... That's acts of the sinful nature, and that needs to be dealt with right here. Or maybe whatever it is that they do, you just feel threatened by it. I mean, be honest with yourself. Why, why do you react that way? Is there, is there this thing that feels like you're out of control, it's being ripped away from you, or something's happening? Why are you so threatened? Where's the fear coming from? 
What, what, what are you trying to hold on to there? When you point that out, does that, that give you this feeling of moral superiority? I mean, is there pride in there? Pride, let me remind you, that God opposes the proud? I'm not talking about their issue. I'm saying, what's the condition here? Because that needs to be dealt with. You need to focus on here. See clearly what's going on here. I, I read one, one author and he said this, the more conscious I am of the work of God, the work God has yet to do in me, the less critical I am about what he has yet to do in you. In essence, what he's saying there is this. The more I look in the mirror, the less I pick up the gavel. The more I look at myself, my issues, areas where I need to be transformed, areas that are unredeemed, areas that are fallen and dark and broken in me, the more I see that clearly, the less I cast judgment on everybody else. So Jesus comes to the end of this and he says, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother eye, brother's eye which say, aha, I told you. He's, yeah, he's got a speck, doesn't he? See, Jesus, I was right, wasn't I? Yes, settle now. You were right. Jesus isn't saying, you know, throw all standards out the window. Jesus isn't saying, never confront anybody. Jesus isn't saying, don't have crucial conversations. Jesus isn't saying, we should throw away all the scriptures that talk about confronting one another and re reproving and rebuking and correcting and warning and, and, and admonishing. He's not saying that. He's saying, yeah, we, we need to do that, but we need to do it in the right order. There are standards. There is truth. There are things that we need to hold to and hold one another to. But first, our first response is to check our motives, check our heart, check our eyes, and see what things God needs to do in us. And when we've humbly walked before the Lord that way, allowed Him to bring about transformation and, and eradicate some of the darkness and, and bring light into our lives, then maybe in humility, that we can come to someone else and speak truth. You know, Ephesians says this, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Usually when we power up and we go to our corners, when we get into these verbal things, when we, it's not wholesome words. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. You don't have to agree with me. But I think it's true that every time we get into that judgment mode and those, you know, those casting the judgment, we're not really that interested in building someone up. We're actually interested in tearing them down, showing them where they're wrong, putting them down, making them pay, all those. We're not interested in building them up. Well, that's a heart issue then. And, and one other little side note. If someone ever comes to you with a tough conversation, something that they're confronting you with, instead of getting defensive, instead of immediately thinking, they need to hear Pastor Bob's sermon, 
instead of saying they're not the ones to call that, instead of saying, you know, they've got their own issues and start pointing back and, and getting defensive and pulling the judgment card, what if, what if when we were being confronted, when we were being judged, even if they're completely out of line, what if our first response was, okay, I don't think this is the right person, the right time. I don't even believe that, that what they're saying is true, but I'm going to look in the mirror to see if perhaps there's some truth in what they're saying. Instead of getting defensive, become humble. Is there an area that I need to grow? Is there an issue that I need to address? Is there a lesson I need to learn? Is there any truth at all in what they say? I mean, imagine this. On the giving and receiving of judgment, if our first response was always, look in the mirror. I want to pick up the gavel. Okay, okay, okay. Let that be a reminder. Look in the mirror. Someone comes to me, I get defensive. Wait, wait, wait. Let that be a reminder. I look in the mirror. That I begin to see, God, what are some things in my life that need to be addressed. So, for those of you who say, WWJD, what would Jesus do? Well, there's all kinds of things he would do. But this we know. John said this about Jesus. The word, Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. He didn't lower a standard. He didn't throw all morals out the window. He had truth, but he had it in grace. And don't you see that over and over again? He raises the bar. He offers it with grace. He sets a standard. He gives mercy and grace. And Jesus, the one that we are to follow, was full of grace and truth. And here's a question that I'm not asking you. I want all of us to ask of ourselves. I know how some of you would answer it to me. Here's the question. What am I full of? Don't tell me what you think I'm full of. I know already. Ask yourself, what am I full of? Am I full of grace and truth? Or am I full of judgment, condemnation, partial truths, unwholesome words, anger, hatred? I'll close with this. Because one of the questions I asked is, is it always wrong to judge? And I think the answer is no. First, there's some things we have to do right. There was a time when the Pharisees were judging Jesus poorly, wrongly. And what I find interesting is Jesus doesn't pull out the judgment card and say, hey, you're being judgmental, stop judging. He doesn't do that. He doesn't say, you're not supposed to judge, quit judging me. They're doing it wrong. They're the wrong ones to do it. But they're judging him. And Jesus' response to them is this. Stop judging by mere appearances and make a right judgment. You need to judge. There's no doubt about it. You need to hold a standard. You need to have some absolutes. You need to speak some hard words. But don't do it by mere appearances. Don't do it too quick. Don't do it with partial truths. Do it in a right way. And I think he would say to us, in this very complex and even confusing issue that is so universal, there's a right way. And the right way always starts by looking in the mirror and asking God, what needs to be changed here first?
So as we go into this series, when there's going to be some differences, when there's going to be some disagreements, when there's going to be some discussions, I pray that we, we would embrace these words of Jesus and say, anytime I'm tempted to judge, anytime someone judges me, I want my first response to be humbly looking in the mirror and submitting myself to my Father. I'm going to invite you to stand as we sing about this incredibly gracious and merciful Father of ours, this good, good Father. And after we sing this, I'll close this in prayer.